Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! Recording this episode just minutes after the conclusion of the Monday night matchup in Cincinnati as the NFL sees two more problems rear their ugly heads over the course of the weekend's action. And we are going to dive into what those are and possible solutions on today's podcast. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, December the 5th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, with you here as always to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, like I mentioned, we're going to examine the future of the NFL, both from an injury slash discipline standpoint, as well as perhaps the NFL's biggest epidemic as officiating continues to get worse and worse with each passing week. And as far as the Dolphins go, this is the Locked On Dolphins podcast, of course. We are going to talk Dolphins football. Do the Dolphins have something brewing in the defensive backfield? And I'll preview a piece I'm working on later for the week talking about the Dolphins cap dollar allocation and how they could do better there. Those thoughts ahead on today's show, but first, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and review. That helps the podcast grow. Gets us out to more Dolphins. You guys know how much I appreciate that. You can follow me on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL. You can follow the show, at LockdownFins. You can check out LockdownDolphins.com and the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts, including the Lockdown Heat podcast and Lockdown NFL podcast for local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And the first thing I want to talk about today, guys, is not Dolphins related. And if if you're not into that at all, if you're not into the state of the NFL game or just other teams in general, you can go ahead and fast forward to, I'd say about five or six minutes into this, because I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. And my first issue was the Rob Gronkowski hit on Tredavious White, the Buffalo Bills rookie cornerback, having a very fantastic season out of LSU. One of my favorite players in the draft and a guy that I liked uh, with his personality and kind of what he brought to the game. And obviously he's, a, he's, on, he's now wearing the rival's color, so I don't like him as much as I used to, but you still you know pull for the young man and you hope for good things for him. And what Rob Gronkowski did to him on Sunday's game in Orchard Park against the New England Patriots was just downright despicable. And I've, been, I've been having a debate with a couple of friends about this and they don't seem to think it's that big of a deal it's just a a uh, your run-of-the-mill roughing after the after the whistle have been blown penalty and I see it much differently than that and I, I talked to him about some other sports injuries that I've seen in the past and I was I'm not a hockey fan they both are and I was talking to them about an uh, injury that occurred back in 2004 from a guy that I forgot his name but I ended up looking it up and found that it was Todd Bertuzzi and he was going up and down the ice with this guy all night and finally at one point of the game he just cold clocked the guy in the side of the face with the right hook knocked him out and they suspended Bertuzzi for the final 13 games of the regular season and for the entirety of the playoffs whether or not the Vancouver Canucks I believe it was at the time whether or not they were going to continue on that season and go to the Stanley Cup I don't know how that suspension was going to work if he was out for the entire year but I kind of liken this injury or this or this offense I should say to that one with Rob Gronkowski and with Todd Bertuzzi because it's after the whistle. It's with malicious intent. And one of the things I read about it that, that stands in Rob Gronkowski's corner about it is that he, this is a, a game of passion and in the, in the heat of the moment, emotions can run high. I don't care about that. That's not a good excuse because and I know I'll, I'll relate this to some legal matters here. It's the same thing as like manslaughter. If you have a crime of passion in the heat of the moment, you might not get life, but you're still going to get 20 or 10, 20 years, whatever it might be for that crime of passion. And that's how I feel about this with Rob Gronkowski. It's a first-time offender. I don't care about any of that. If you're going to jeopardize the future of the of the game and of the NFL, then you don't have a place in the NFL, in my opinion. 
And what Rob Gronkowski did is a direct violation in terms of jeopardizing the future of the game. And we have all these problems with concussions, and it's a serious, serious problem. Guys are getting seriously hurt. Their lives are no longer the same quality after they exit the league. And you can go on and on about how that's a, a privilege they sign up for. They get compensated for that, right? But you have to do everything in your power to make the game safe. And the NFL is going in that direction. As much as I love the big hits from the early 2000s and dating back into the 90s, and even when I was you know, a newborn back into the 80s, the game has changed, and it's for the better. It's for the longevity of the game and for us fans to appreciate this game for as long as we possibly can. And as a Dolphins fan that has not seen a lot of success in the last 20 years, I'm only 30 years old, I want to see this game go on till I die because I want to see the Dolphins have success and I want to have all the fun that I have every single Sunday and Saturday watching football. And if we get more crap like this and more hits to the head and stuff malicious after the whistle, then it's, this game is not going to exist for much longer because... There is a higher priority on player safety than anything else in the NFL. And if the NFL doesn't come down on Rob Gronkowski harder than this, you really start to blur those lines in terms of what's allowed and what's not because you have a quarterback that gets hit, you know, going out of bounds, or you have a receiver that gets hit when you're trying to catch football during the middle of a play, during the act of a football play, and that gets flagged and you get a fine, maybe sometimes even a suspension on that kind of stuff. The guy from the Green Bay Chicago game earlier this year was I think it was Danny Trevathan hit a put a hit on Devontae Adams. They were talking about suspending him. They didn't do it, but I understand why they would have because he went with the crown of his helmet and put a big hit on the guy's head. And these concussions can have not only lingering effects in a player's career, I mean, these things can add up and you can end up losing a player's career, but it affects the guy's quality of life later on in life. So I think there's no place for it. The play was over. Rob Gronkowski was mad because the guy was taking his lunch money on the day and he got an interception out of the play there. And then he comes up and just drops a forearm on the back of Tredavious White's head, sends his head face first into the turf. That is a malicious, egregious hit. And there is no place in the NFL for it. And the NFL without Rob Gronkowski would survive. It wouldn't matter. The Patriots are fine without Rob Gronkowski. Put his ass on the sideline for several weeks and teach him a lesson and make this an example for the NFL because they cannot stand by and watch this type of stuff happen. It makes me sick and it makes me just worried that the game of football in the NFL might not be around forever. And then last point on this before I move on, and I just want to make this point abundantly clear. This has nothing to do with the fact that the Dolphins play the Patriots on Monday night. They are getting the one game out of him. He will not be in uniform for that game, even though he appeals a suspension. I don't have... I don't see any way the NFL uh, uphold or does not uphold the suspension for Gronkowski for one game. He whips our butt every time they play us anyways, or, or the Patriots whip the Dolphins' butt every time they play them anyways, with or without Rob Gronkowski. They won a Super Bowl without Gronkowski. So this isn't about the Patriots and, and trying to prevent them from getting rings. It's from trying to protect the NFL and protect the shield and protect the game. That's all I really care about. So the second point I wanted to talk about was the epidemic in the NFL that I am I am calling an epidemic because it has become one, and it makes games somewhat unwatchable. You have my brother, who he's a big football fan. He likes the Dolphins. He likes to watch the game. We watch a lot of football together, but he doesn't have the, you know, the severe passion that I have for the game. He just watches it casually and he enjoys the game himself. And he texted me at night and said, dude, you're right. I can't watch this crap anymore. There's so many flags and so many ticky tack calls that change the outcomes of football games. It's not, I'm not watching the players. I'm watching the refs. I know way too many officials names. They are in front of the camera the entire game. They're making a third of the plays or it seemed like they're getting flagged. And that was certainly the case a couple weeks ago when the Dolphins played the Buccaneers and Tony Corrente, who has been in front of three consecutive, awfully, horrendously bad officiated football games. And it just continues to be the case for him in his career every single week. But these games, these guys are ruining 
the integrity of the game and you watch the college game and guys are allowed to hand jostle down the field. They're allowed to make contact in certain areas of the field and they don't throw the flags. They let them play. I want to see these guys play football. I don't want to see the refs determine the outcomes of the games. And when you have stuff like the video replay where Tony Corrente and his crew sees an obvious sack in the end zone with uh, Jordan Phillips as well as Cam Wake on Ryan Fitzpatrick a couple weeks ago in, in the Tampa Bay Miami game, you see it on replay, it's clear as day that they didn't get it right. So then they go ahead and, and issue an official apology to the Miami Dolphins, which makes us feel so much better after seeing a, a call that basically could have cost the Dolphins the game in that in that certain circumstance. But I, I think that the best way you can you can fix this, I have two solutions for it. One, this might not be very popular with a lot of people that like the flow of a football game, and I know John Gruden wouldn't like it, but I think you have to make certain flags challengeable. And maybe not make them challengeable from the coaches, but have a centralized replay system where you have guys that are watching from a, a centralized position or a centralized booth somewhere, whether, whether it's in the stadium or elsewhere. I mean, I'm watching the game on my couch, and they can show a quick replay instantly after a play happens, and I can say, okay, he's out of bounds at the 33-yard line. Easy enough. Go back, make it, make the call, make it happen. And then the refs will go over, and they'll confer, and they'll go put the headset on, and they'll watch a, a video replay, and they'll come out three minutes later with the exact same resolution that I came up with in two seconds watching from my couch. So if I can do it from my couch, there are guys that can do it from a centralized replay system, have these replays, these big pass interferences, these tic-tac holding, ticky-tack holding calls or illegal contact or whatever it may be, have this stuff reviewable at least, at least once a game or whatever it is, make it so that we can correct these horrendous calls. Don't make these calls binding by the fact that they threw a flag and they have to make the call. Make it so they can go back and correct it because it's ruining the game and I can't stand to see it. And then the second thing I would recommend, and this is going to make maybe some of my older listeners a little bit upset with me, but get some younger guys out there. I mean, it's cool that you've officiated for so many years and that you, you know, you've done it for a long time and you have a great history of doing it. But at a certain age, you know, there's a reason that NFL players don't play past their 40s unless you're Tom Brady. It's because a certain age doesn't allow you to do a lot of things athletically and it makes your body, your body breaks down. Your, your eyes might wear out. They might not be as good as they once were. Get some younger blood, get some hungry guys, maybe with even lesser salaries. Send these older officials off into retirement. Give a nice little pension, whatever it is. They have money out coming out their eyeballs in the NFL get some new blood in there and make it so the game is more fairly efficient. Whatever you got to do, make it so the game is better efficient. If you can keep these older guys and they can continue to do the job the right way, then I'm all for keeping them. But if they can't do it, if they continue to prove that they can't do it, then get them out of there. That's all there is to it. So those are my rants. We'll get back on the show here in a minute on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast hosted by Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL. And we'll talk some Dolphins football here in just one second. And with that said, let's get back into what you came here for, some Miami Dolphins football content here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And the first thing I want to talk about on tonight's show, we're going to make this a briefer show for you guys. I've been, I got a busy week ahead of me, so we've got plenty of guests coming up on the show later in the week. We'll talk about the Patriots and we'll have another special guest talking about the Dolphins receivers on tomorrow's show. But I want to talk about first the Miami Dolphins defensive backs and particularly their cornerbacks, because this is a, a, a position where you're kind of in an area where you have to make a decision. Are you going to go ahead and go forward with these young guys? Are you going to make a move to a higher draft pick? The Dolphins figure to find themselves somewhere in that top 12 to 8 range, depending on how the rest of the season goes. I mean, with these couple of Buffalo games coming up with possibly Tyrod Taylor not being available, could make those games differently. But neither here nor there, the Dolphins figure to pick somewhere in that mid to lower range of the first round of the draft. And there's a possibility that you have a guy like Denzel Ward, maybe even Mika Fitzpatrick. If you lose enough games, it'll be available for you. And those guys could be elite premier cover corners. And if you get a chance at one of those guys, it'd be hard pressed to say no. But then again, you look at guys 
like Xavier and Howard, he'll be coming into his third year. You'll have Cordrea Tankersley coming into year number two. You'll have Bobby McCain coming into year number four. And then Tony Lippett off the Achilles with the 12 months to recover, which is, is significant in this sense. All these guys, he's coming in his fourth year next year. All these guys coming up with a chance to really bite as guys that are hits on your roster. And you look at Bobby McCain, the slot cornerback. He's in year number three. He's a guy that I've been vocally very adamant about his ability to play football for quite a while. And he's starting to really, really show that this year. A couple of picks. He's playing the run very well, playing aggressively. He can show a little bit of blitzing ability. He he showed the ability to play a little bit of outside against Demarius Thomas. And of course, inside on Emmanuel Sanders in the slot, playing some excellent corner for the Miami Dolphins. Then you have Xavier Howard, who I'm not going to buy in on because of one game against a bad offense, but he has a very nice game in that one. And you think that maybe some of the injuries last year, of course, he gets a little bit nicked up this year as well. Maybe he can come back in his third year and kind of make a different play out of himself. And one of the, the comments I saw on Twitter, I tweeted about it earlier in the day, and it's from my former co-host on the podcast, the Finalysis Podcast, Kevin Dern, at KevinMD4, mentioned that the Panthers last year had two rookie cornerbacks in James Bradbury and Daryl Worley, and those guys had rough rookie seasons. They, they were expecting more out of them. They let Josh Norman go because of these guys and their expectations for them. They had rough rookie years, but now they come back in year number two. They're a little more seasoned. They're a little more aware of what, has to, what is expected of them in the NFL, and they're playing good football for the Panthers, and the Panthers have a top 10 pass defense. You can say that has to do with their pass rush and all that stuff, but nonetheless, those guys are playing good football out there. And if you can get the same type of jump from the Dolphins, that, that's going to make all the difference in the world for this defense because because I think you have a group that's starting to play a little bit more confidently. They can challenge the line of scrimmage. They can play that press. They got they they despite the high score for the Patriots two weeks ago, the Dolphins had some plays where they had some out and out wins and one on one matchups, and that's what you want to see from a young group and play with a little more fire and energy. And I'll be really curious to see how they handle the Patriots this week, especially without Rob Gronkowski and dealing with those Patriots short routes, and see if they can actually handle that a little bit more in this game. But I just I think you're at a real crossroads here with what you want to do with these guys because you have four guys that could potentially become players. If you get all four of them to work out, and let's just say only three of them do, and you consider that Bobby McCain is one of them, the slot guy, you get two guys to work out on the perimeter, you've got three good corners, and then you're in a great position to build a good defense because cornerbacks mean so much in this league. If you can cover man coverage in this league, you're going to do just fine, and you can mix in some zone here and there too. So it's interesting to see what the Dolphins do with the cornerback position. I'm intrigued by it. That's going to be my number one thing to watch down the stretch these final four games is the Miami Dolphins cornerbacks. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the next segment here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast and talk about a topic that I'm not super well versed on yet. I've done a little bit of research on it. You guys have seen it on Twitter where I've tweeted out a couple things about the Dolphins pay scale and kind of where some of the money is allocated on this team. And I haven't written the article yet. I'm, I'm in the process of it. I, I'm a little bit busy with work and getting, getting crazy this time of year. And then obviously doing the podcast for you guys, trying to write as much as I possibly can. But just kind of looking at how the Dolphins figured their cap and where certain money is tied up, and there just isn't really, I guess the best way to put it is there isn't really a clear direction. You look at a lot of teams like the Steelers and the Raiders, they have a ton of money tied up in the offense and not much on the defense. And the Steelers obviously have a good defense, the Raiders do not, but you can see where the team has built its identity on one side of the football. And you go to the opposite side of the coin, Dolphins have a little bit more money on defense than they do on offense, and that's understandable with Ndamukong Sue on that side of the football, but it's not like it's a dominant defense. I looked, I compared their their pay differential, their pay ratios in terms of offense and defense, and some of the teams that had more on defense than they do on offense. And there are some bad teams that have that same type of split. So don't think that the Dolphins are the only one, but some of the teams that did have those splits were the Seattle Seahawks, who when they're healthy, one of the best defenses in the NFL. The Minnesota Vikings are one of the best defenses in the NFL, and the Carolina Panthers in that same mold as well. So a lot of these teams have identity, they have direction, they have a plan for how they went ahead and allocated that money. And I, like I said, I'm going to write this article for you guys sometime this 
this week. My hope is to get that done. And it's going to include pro football focus grades, my own film review, and kind of relating all of that back into the cap and how the Dolphins have spent this money and where the money is spent well and where it's spent poorly and how they can make these fixes. So keep an eye out for that on LockedOnDolphins.com. Again, this is the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL. Okay, guys, that's going to about do it for today's show. I just want to make a couple of quick announcements. I was going to talk a little bit about receiver play on this episode because I did some stuff today on Kenny Stills and Jarvis Landry. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw that, talking about Kenny Stills' output compared to Jarvis Landry's and looking more at their efficiency more than just raw numbers. I know that Jarvis Landry gets a lot of love for his reception totals, but you look at the yards per catch and the yards per target and the number of targets per touchdown that it requires for each player to get those numbers. It really favors Kenny Stills, and we'll get into that on tomorrow's show because on tomorrow's show... I am currently scheduled with Chris Chambers, former Miami Dolphins wide receiver from 2001 all the way up through 2007. So we're supposed to talk to Chris Chambers. We'll see if we get him on or not. He's been kind of back and forth, non-responsive on Twitter. He did say he was coming on. He, I've got the entire thing set up for how we're going to do it. So it's just up to him to see if he gets back to me. I'll bug him again tomorrow if he doesn't do that. So hoping to get Chris Chambers on the show tomorrow. Also on Thursday's show, Mark Schofield of the Lockdown Patriots podcast. He does some great work for Bleacher Report with the NFL 1000, the same thing that Ian Wharton does as well. He's a very good football mind. And sadly, he's a Patriots fan, but he's a good guy too. So we'll get him on the show on Thursday. I want to talk to him about his Rob Gronkowski thoughts. We'll preview the Patriots-Dolphins game next Monday night in Miami. The Dolphins look to get themselves back in position at 6-7 and seven with the win in that game. That's going to do it for today's show, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at Winkle NFL, and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.